I get louder than this, so you might turn me down. <laughs> um, I always say the children are welcome, and there's no hassle having them here. I always say I'm, o- I'm, I'm way louder than them anyway, so that always works out for us. Please open your Bibles in two places this morning. I want you to open them up in Proverbs chapter 22 and Hebrews chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 22 and Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be in different verses this morning, um, but you can turn to those places. Hebrews 12, we'll look at it at the, at, the very, at the very end this morning. Here's what we want to talk about today. It is parenting. We've been going through Proverbs, and we've been going through different topics, and the topic I want us to look at this morning is parenting. Now, there's two truths that we remember about parenting. Number one, it is absolutely exhausting. It's exhausting. And number two, it is the greatest privilege in the world. It is completely tiring. It will wreck your head, but there is no greater privilege or blessing in the world. And parenting isn't for everyone doesn't make you any less of a human being if you're not a parent. Jesus was the perfect human, was never married and never had a child. But what a blessing it is to have children. And this thing, it is exhausting, and in its exhaustion, we need to know, how are we going to do it? (laughs) How are we going to be parents, faithful parents unto the Lord? And, And Proverbs has so much, so much practical wisdom for us. Now, you might say to me, Shane, this is is very well planned this morning. Father's Day and parenting, well done. You must have planned that. I didn't really, I'll be honest with you. I was deciding the topics fairly close in the time, and we just put it down to the providence of God that we need to learn about parenting this morning and what it means. But as we think about Father's Day, I, I want to tell you Two, two moments in my life as a father where I realized, wow, I'm a dad. The first moment where I realized, wow, I'm a dad, was that moment where I held Talitha in my arms for the first time, my firstborn. I was like, wow, I am a dad here. Life is going to change. This is going to be different now. There's going to be a lot of expectation. Life is going to be different now. Wow, I am a dad. The second time, one of our children, that I realized I was a dad, one of our children was a fantastic sleeper, fantastic sleeper for nine months. And after nine months, things changed. Went from angel to demon very quickly, (laughs) very, very quickly. After about nine months, (laughs) maybe, maybe. Um, And... (laughs) And okay, two seconds, guys. And after, I'm gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna lose where I'm going. Hold on a second. And uh, after nine months, he just, he, he wouldn't sleep. It was Simeon, yes. He wouldn't sleep. And I remember we were trying, trying everything, trying everything we could. And then it was about two in the morning, and we couldn't get him to sleep. And I remember sitting in the landing thinking, wow, I'm a dad. 
and I was in floods of tears. The child broke me, broke me. We Parenting is exhausting, but it is one of the greatest privileges in the world. And as parents, we need to know, what are we doing? How are we going to parent our children? If Proverbs is a practical book of wisdom that gives us practical advice for Christians to live their lives, then we as parents need to know, how are we going to parent? What should we do? I want to tell you two things this morning about parenting. I'm going to keep it really simple. The first thing is this, as parents, we are called to train our children. As parents, we are called to train our children. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me read it again. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The first section of it calls us, calls parents to train. And that word train is not just train in one moment, it is continually train them. That's the way it's written in the the original. Continually train your child in what? In the way that they should go. You see, Proverbs, Proverbs often talks about the way. There are two ways. There is the way that leads to destruction and the way that leads to life. There is the way of foolishness and there is the way of wisdom. Proverbs is constantly presenting two ways. And for parents, it's saying, which way do you want your child to go? You want them to go down the path that leads to life. You want them to go down the path that leads to righteousness. So if you want them to go down that path, what are you called to do? Parents, you are called to train them. And there's two questions that a parent asks as they read this verse. Train up a child in the way they should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The first question a parent often asks when they read this verse is this. Is that a promise? Is that a promise? If I train up my child in the ways of righteousness, and the ways of God, does that mean, does that promise me that my child will never depart from that way? We remember in Proverbs that Proverbs is a different type of book, don't we? Proverbs is a wisdom book. All of these sayings, they are not promises. They are general truths. They are not guaranteed truths. And we have said this many times throughout this series in Proverbs that many times Proverbs will present to you general truths, not guaranteed truths. So, 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 for example, what might happen is, is students right now, they're studying quite a lot. Maybe they have been studying for junior cert and leaving cert, and maybe students for college. And what a parent might say to a student that is studying for college or studying for an exam, they might say, you need to work hard. If you work hard, you will get success. Study hard, work hard. If you study hard, if you work hard, you will get success. Is that a guaranteed promise? No. It's generally true if they work hard, if they study hard, they will do well. But what happens if they get sick during that week of the exam and they take the exam and they're not feeling well? They might still fail even if they've worked very hard. What happens if they lose someone that's close to them, they've studied really hard and they sit those exams and it doesn't go well for them? Well, it's not a guarantee that just if you work hard, you are going to get success. But it is generally true. That's the way wisdom works. So it's saying to parents, here's the general truth. Train up your child in which, they go, in which they are to go. And if you are diligent in doing that, 
The general truth is the most likely path that this is going to go is that they are going to walk in righteousness. It is not always going to be true, but it is generally true. Is that a promise? No, Proverbs are not promises in their sayings, but they are wisdom to us that we are called as parents to train up our child. It is a promise. It is not a promise. And then the second question you ask, is it a promise? The second question you ask is, is this possible? Because as you look at training up your children, you ask yourself, is that possible? Like training them up and continually training our children up, that sounds tiring in itself. I don't know about you, but but sometimes I just feel like if my children and me are breathing at the end of the day, we've done well. If we're alive and if everybody's breathing and if everybody's got a pulse, hallelujah. We've fed them, they've slept, they're doing well, we've got them to school. And now you want to tell me that I have to train them? I, I can just about keep them alive, let alone ask me to actually train these children. Is that possible? And I would say to you, absolutely yes. We have a Father in heaven who calls us to train our children. And He would not call us to do something that He has not equipped us by His Spirit to do. It would be unloving of our Heavenly Father to give us a command, to give us a call, and not by His Spirit equip us to be enabled to, to, enable to do that command or call. So when he calls us to train us, he just, he, he's not like laughing in the background, train them, <laughs> we'll see how they get on. No, he empowers us. He helps us. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says this, his divine power, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. What does that first say? His divine power has given us everything you need for life and godliness. What a wonderful thing that is to wake up each day and say, because of my Father, I have everything I need for this life. He is for me. He is not against me. I have everything I need for parenthood. I have everything I need to be a good husband or a good wife. He gives to us generously. This is possible. It is possible to train our children. So if we're called to continually train them, how are we to do it? What does training actually look like? Well, in training, there is informal training and there's formal training. The informal training I will call talking to our children, and the formal training I will call teaching our children. There are two things that parents will do. They will talk to their children, and they will teach their children. And here's, here's the verse that I want to point you to. You can just listen to it if you can't turn there. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we've looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. It is called the Shema. And in the Shema, that means here. That's Hebrew for here. In the Shema, it gives parents the call to not only teach our children, but talk to our children. Listen to what it says in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. There he calls us to formal training and informal training. The informal training is this. You shall talk to them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And here's what you're to do. You shall talk to your children. Parents, talk to your children. It is a wonderful gift to talk to our children. And I know it is exhausting. And the easiest thing to do, one of the easiest things to do is say, here, let that talk to you for three hours. Okay? And listen, we're going to use that time. Everybody needs downtime. Of course we do. But if that prevents you from talking to your children, then turn it off for a while and talk to them. Talk to them when, when you sit down, when, when you walk, when, when you're going to bed, when you rise. Talk to them. You know, you know when children really want to talk? It's when they're going to bed. It's when we're most tired, but it's when they want to talk. Why do they want to talk? I want to stay up later. But parents, what would it look like if we actually took advantage of those moments? I'm not saying keep for three hours or four hours. I'm saying if there is a moment where your child asks you a question before they go to bed, who cares if it's bedtime? Talk to them. Teach them. What do you talk to them about? The different ways of the Lord. Even as you go about your day, as you're walking, talk to them about the trees and the ocean and the birds and the bees. Talk to them. As they have questions about life, always seek to bring up Jesus. And what that's going to mean for us as parents is we need to be close to Him so we can share Him with them. And as we experience Him, then we are going to be quick to talk to our children about Him because we love Him and we want them to love Him too. Take the time to talk to them. That is a casual training of our children that anybody can do. You don't need a Bible degree for it. You only need to love Jesus. Here's the thing I would encourage, not just parents, but, but grannies and granddads and uncles and aunts, this is a really good way for you to share Jesus with your loved ones around you. Grannies and granddads and uncles and aunts, you might not get the chance to sit down and teach your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews like properly and diligently in that way, but you will get a chance many times to talk with them. Take that opportunity because their parents might not know Jesus, but you do. What an opportunity it would be to just talk to them about Him and train them in that way. So talk to your children. That's the informal way, but the formal way of training our children, it says it here in Deuteronomy 6 verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. 
You shall teach your children diligently. So there's an informal way, which, is, which sounds good to us, but then there is a, a formal way where we as parents are called to teach our children diligently. Now, it is true that there is good teaching that happens outside of the household. That will happen in this church. We have really good teaching of children in this church on Friday nights with a really good curriculum and with really good teachers, and they get taught in that formal way. But there is the call for parents not to just um, contract this teaching of our children out to others, but it is a responsibility for ourselves. This is what is happening in Proverbs. Proverbs, what you see in Proverbs is the formal teaching of a father to a son. What you have in Proverbs is the practical outworking of the Shema. Proverbs in the first 10 speeches of the father and the son, that's what he's doing. He is sitting down with the son and he is saying, hear this, my son, listen to me. Let me share with you. When talking about the purpose of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, Let the wise hear and increase in learning. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, at the beginning of the father-son speeches, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, in the beginning of that speech, he says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you might gain insight. In chapter 8, verse 6, he says, Hear, for I will speak noble things. And in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 33, he says, Hear instruction and be wise. It is not a coincidence that he says here that many times. He is practicing the Shema. He is sitting his son down and he is giving his son eight speeches. He is giving his son ten speeches. And three of those ten speeches are a warning against the adulterous woman. He's sitting him down and teaching him diligently. Parents, I think this is what we are called to do. To seek to teach our children diligently. But we often feel guilty, don't we? I'm exhausted. I can barely keep them breathing, and now you want me to teach them. This is really hard and difficult. God won't call you to do something that He doesn't enable you to do. He's calling us to do this, parents, and He will enable us to do it. He will help us. I often ask myself, when they are 25 or 30, what will I regret that I didn't do with them now? And the one thing that always comes to mind is this, teaching them. I know in years' time, if I don't, I'm going to regret that. I know it's not on me. Salvation doesn't belong to me as a parent. Who does salvation belong to? God. You're not going to save them. All the training in the world will not save them by you. It depends only upon the Spirit of the God to bring salvation. But what is the means that God might use to save them? Wouldn't it be glorious if God would use the parents in this room to save His children to Himself? 
And that's what we're called to do. So parents, practically, I, I think this could work out practically like this. Think about two times in your day. Two times I would think about as this, the table times and the bedtimes. The table times, you might sit down at a table for breakfast. You might sit down at a dinner table for dinner. I would encourage you, if you don't have a table, get one. And have that table be the center of your home. Have that table be the center of your home. Don't have the box be the center of your home. Have the table be the center of your home. And use those times, those table times, as times to instruct and teach your children. Man, I know, I know. I'm there right now. Those times are exhausting. Eat up, eat up, finish up, finish up, eat, 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 eat. That goes on for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour sometimes. Would you ever eat? But if you're at the table for an hour, what does that give you time to do? It gives you time to teach. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know it all inside out. There are a load of good resources, and I've brought some of them with me. We have loads of things that we have used with our children, these big, these big Bibles that we've used with them, and it doesn't take a scholar to read it. You read it, you talk to them afterwards, and you put it down. And sometimes everybody's really tired, and nobody's listening to you, and it's really loud, but the principle is still the same. You read it, You talk about it and you put it down. Five minutes, ten minutes, it's not going to take us long, but the Lord might use that in your child's life to point them to Him. And so I'd encourage you, maybe after the service, you can look at some of those. They're just simple devotions. I'm not writing up a sermon. In fact, I probably shouldn't do that. My My kids hear me enough. But just to sit down for a few moments and center ourselves on Jesus table times. The other time is bedtime. When do they want to talk? When they're going to bed. They will be delighted to stay up a few minutes extra. Read it with them. Encourage your kids. Point them to Jesus. Parents were called to train our children diligently. May the Lord help us in that task. The second thing that we're called to as parents is to lovingly discipline our children to train our children, and to lovingly discipline our children. The reality is, in Proverbs, you cannot get away with this. I was looking at it, and I said, Lord, I wish I could get away with not talking about it. And to be honest, I probably could have. I probably could have ignored the verses, because the way we're doing it topically, but He didn't allow me, because there's too many of them in Proverbs. I want you to turn to Proverbs 13, verse 24. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Proverbs 13, verse 24. Listen to what it says. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, when I read that, there's different 
thoughts that come into some of our minds. Some of us look at that and say, yes, the Bible says it, so we do it. Yes. Some of us look at that and we have no problem with it whatsoever. We're happy to just read it and seek to apply it. Easy. But some of us read this verse and we might think back to our childhood. Some of us think back to our childhood and think, I never got any of that. There was no discipline in my childhood. And look how I turned out. It was grand. And then some of us look back on our childhood and we have awful memories of that. Where maybe you were even abused. And maybe even some of these verses were used in order to do that. Some of us might look at it that way. Some of us might be looking at this verse for the first time and thinking, does the Bible actually say that? Is that what parents are actually called to do? And some of us are looking at this verse, probably most of us looking at the verse saying, what's he going to do with this? That happens to me a lot in preaching. What's he going to do with this? I made a commitment. When I started preaching, and it was this, and I'm serious about it. If the Bible talks about it, I will talk about it. I don't care how politically incorrect. I don't care what it's going to sound like in this world. I don't care how I'm going to be received. If the Bible talks about it, I don't care how awkward it's going to be for us. If the Bible talks about it, I will talk about it. So what do you do with it? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that discipline is grounded in love. It's a thing that we often miss in discipline, but it is said here, discipline is grounded in love. This is a thing that we forget. Let me ask you, let me ask you two questions, if that's okay. You can, if you don't want to put up your hand, you're fine. Don't worry. It's not like a test or anything. I just want to know, how many of you have had you know, formal teaching Sunday morning from Proverbs on discipline in your life? Sunday morning, hands up. How many of you have heard that? So, so three of us, that's, that, that's, that's quite tragic, isn't it? That we, would not even, that we would not have even heard about it. Now let me ask you this question. How many of us have heard about these types of verses and discipline and the rod? How many of us have heard Christians refer to it or talk about it in relation to a joke or something like that? How many of us have, have heard that before? Any of us heard that? A lot more. So, so here's the problem. Here's the problem, and I guess that would be the reality. Here's the problem with that. All of us have not been, many of us have not been taught about what it looks like, and most of us have joked about what it looks like. And that's a problem for us with what it looks like. And what I think we miss in, in not hearing teaching about it and only hearing jokes about it, what I think we miss is this, is that it is grounded in love. If there is not love, there is not discipline. It is always grounded in love. And if biblical discipline is love-based, if biblical discipline has love as its foundation, then that means that biblical discipline is never abuse. It is never a way to vent out our anger. It is never a way for us to be impatient. It is always patient. It is always loving. It is always kind. It never seeks to embarrass or shame, 
And it always seeks to instruct. It is loving. The other thing that you see in Proverbs about discipline is not only is discipline loving, when Proverbs talks about discipline, it's always positive and never negative. It's always positive and never negative. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 18 says this, Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. In discipline there will be hope. There will be love. You don't want to leave your child the freedom of the world. Hey, you decide. You decide. You make all the decisions in this house. You make all the decisions. No, there needs to be loving boundaries and disciplines. And that's the same with all of us. In this world, we have authorities over us that don't just say, hey, you can do what you want. What happens? We, as adults, we have discipline, restrictions in our lives that keep us and prevent us from breaking law. It is a good thing. Proverbs 29, verse 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. It is positive and not negative. So those two things are really, really important as we think of this. It is loving and it is positive. The world will say it is unloving and it is negative. The Scripture will say it is always to be loving and it is always to be positive. And so I think we are missing something. And the reason I'm so convinced that what I am saying is right, that discipline is loving And that discipline is positive because God, our Father, He disciplines us. And He is not abusive. And He is not hateful. And He is always loving. And He is always kind. And yet, the first instance that we hear in the Scripture of loving discipline with the rod is actually attributed to God the Father in heaven. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, it sa- the, God the Father says this, I will be to him, talking of a king who is going to come in the future, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. When he sins, God says, I will discipline him, but at the same time, he will know of my steadfast love. It is always grounded in steadfast love. You cannot separate love and discipline. You can't do that. The Bible doesn't do that. It doesn't separate it. Yet when we joke about it, what happens? We separate it. That's the first instance in the Bible. It's attributed to God the Father. The first instance in Proverbs of discipline and the rod is attributed to God the Father. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 11 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Our God and Father disciplines those whom he loves. He does not hate us. He does not abuse us. He teaches us. He trains us. And He loves us. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amazing, isn't it? This, this idea of leading and guiding and directing His people, our good shepherd, with the rod and the staff, He comforts us and He leads us. And the last verses I'll read to you about God the Father's loving discipline is Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to turn there, Hebrews chapter 12. And I will not study all these verses, but I want you to see just that simple truth that all discipline is grounded in love. It's grounded in love. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness." Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In love, He disciplines us. If you see a child who is left to ultimate freedom in this world, never restricted, always let go, you decide, I will show you a child who is not loved. A child left on their own is a child who is not loved. But loving discipline seeks to instruct and lead and guide. So what do we do with this? I think there's some important things. Number one, I would encourage you to talk to other parents. Talk to other people who have been there and done that before. Because all I have given you this morning is what I think is the foundation right? That it is loving discipline that is grounded in God the Father, that He is the one who calls us sons, that He leads us and guides us. But you will say in your head, hold on a minute, I have loads more questions. I have loads more questions. How is this going to work? How am I supposed to like diligently train and teach and discipline our children? How, how, how do we do it? Because the reality is, you you might be asking, like, does discipline look different for a six-year-old than it does a teenager? And the answer is, yes, of course it looks different. 
One, the teenager is way taller than you. It's going to look different. They're going to be looking down on you. What does that look like? Is, is discipline always going to be the same? Like if they forget to brush their teeth and if they smack someone across the head, is it always going to look the same? No, it's going to be different. There are going to be different types. And of course, that takes wisdom, love, and care. All of these questions that we have are very, very practical. And I would encourage you with Proverbs to say, seek out many counselors. Talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ who you have here. Don't let that go. Be wise. Be wise. And so as we go to the picnic afterwards and as we chat afterwards, you can ask someone a question right there. What does it look like for you? I don't have a clue about this. Training, teaching, this, I don't know what this looks like. What does it look like for you? And I'm sure some of you still have questions for me. I'd encourage you, ask. Listen, you haven't heard about this. People haven't taught this to you. This is my first time teaching it. I haven't got it all right. I don't have all of the answers. But what I would encourage you to say is come and talk. Let's begin that conversation. Let's see what it looks like to actually love and care for our children and guide them in the ways of the Lord. We want what is best for them, and what is best for them is to love and serve Him. Talk to other parents. And the second thing I would say is this. Teach yourselves, parents. Talk to other parents, and also teach yourselves. Because guess what? We as parents, we sin. We get things wrong. We fail. We should always come to our children and say, I got it wrong. Forgive me. I was wrong here. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. Teach yourselves to repent. Teach yourselves to look for forgiveness. And I would say this summer, you know, I do have a concern for us this summer of us, and it's already started, are, are, are going away for, for long periods of time, three weeks, four weeks, six weeks. Here's my concern. I think the summer is one of the most dangerous times for us spiritually. It is one of the most, I guarantee you, the most dangerous time. You will think, I'm going away for six weeks, what a restful time. Spiritually, it is a dangerous time. Why? because you're out of fellowship. I always say, like, like, give me three weeks out of fellowship, it's going to be a difficult place for me. I need God's people. I need teaching. I need growth. I need prayer. So I'd encourage you, parents, during this time, during this summer, don't forget to teach yourselves. Seek to find that fellowship. Maybe there might be a church that you could go to while you're on your break or on your holidays or whatever, or maybe you could find ways that you could get in the Scripture. Like, what is your plan for the summer? Are you just going to leave the summer happen to you? Hey, the Bible's going to read itself to me. Preach and train yourself and to pray. I would encourage you to do that. Don't neglect to train yourself. I remember I had a professor. It was the final, final class before our exams in theology. And what we wanted more than anything in the final class was this. Tell us, get us ready for the exam. I don't care what you have to say. We have a final exam coming forward. 
tell us, get us ready for the exam. Do you know what he did? He put the exam away. He said, the very first, here's what I want to get you ready for. Who cares about the exam? I want to get you ready for the summer. You have two months off. It's going to be the most dangerous time for you spiritually. What are you going to do? Are you going to love parents? Talk to other parents and teach yourselves. If you're not teaching yourself, how are you going to teach them? Let's pray together. Lord, there is much we need to learn. There is much growth that we need in our lives. Lord, I as a parent and as a father, I have not made it. But I have a father in heaven who is perfect. And I ask you for your help this morning. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father. Teach us how to teach our children. Lead us and guide us in your love. May we always remember your love and care for us. That you loved us so much that you gave your one and only son for us. May we never forget that. In your name, amen.